In Shmuel last week, we were learning about the arguments between David and Shmuel about the promise that Shal had made to enrich whoever kills Goliath and to give him his daughter. And uh, the question was, those those were two different factors. The one was the money that he was promised, and the second one was that uh, he promised to give him uh, his daughter in marriage. Now, what was the condition going to be? What was the, the way that the condition was done? So, on that, the Mephoshim explained that David wanted to say instead of the wealth that he was owed by Shaul, so then that should instead be, uh, that should instead be used as a custom condition. But the problem is that's a milvet, a loan, and as you know, a person can't marry somebody by forgiving a loan. So, if that's the case, how is the condition going to be done? So Shaul adds a new term to the agreement as well, and that is that David has to go and kill a hundred fishermen. And now that that was something new which David would be able to give to Shaul, and therefore besides for the, the milver, which was the debt of the great wealth that Shaul had promised and David was going to forgive, it would also be the value of the killing of a hundred fishermen. So what was the argument between them? Uh, Shaul held even if David would keep that, it still wouldn't be a good condition because he held primarily that uh, the deal would still be based on the value of the gift, so to speak, which of great wealth, which Shaul had promised, and uh, was a Malve, Yeshakaya, and uh, therefore even if it would be a Prut as well, that becomes secondary. And David held not. If, if he knew that a Malve, the debt, couldn't be a false condition, therefore he felt what he was doing now as a, as a way of of making the condition, of doing the condition, that would be the, the way that she was made. That was the first explanation of the Machlokes and the Gemara. The second explanation of the Machlokes and the Gemara is, was killing a hundred Pishtim and bringing the symbol of the Aurelius of the Pishtim back to the Shal, was that worth a proto or not? Shal held the Bortons, in which case, again, there was no valid condition, and David held that it could be used, like the Gemara says, to feed a dog or a cat or something else. If that's the case, it had a value, and therefore it was still, uh, it was still something which could be a kiddushin. And because of that, so now, so therefore David feels that he's still uh, entitled to Shaul's daughter in marriage. We saw that Shaul uh, gave his older daughter Merav, so she married somebody else, Adriel Mukhadasi. And now the question was, was that, uh, so to speak, a breach of the agreement? that Shaul would give his daughter to David, or was it actually much worse than that, that there actually was a Kiddushin, in which case she was an Ish, and she would be also to her husband, and, uh, because she was uh, considered already married to David. And uh, they understand that this is a Machlokas uh, between uh, two Tanoim in the Kamar there. The one opinion holds, that the condition to, in other words, David never really married Mera, and uh, because of that, so she was, uh, he was allowed to marry Michal, Mera was allowed to marry someone else. And even though it was spoken about that Mera should be given to him, but the said, I never actually got to the wedding, so it was more like the one who was intended to David was given to Adriel, and not that she was actually married to David. And that also freed up David to marry the younger sister Michal. Was Michal over 12 and a half years old? At this stage? Um, it seems that she uh, doesn't say the first, but yeah, she could have been. So, the, uh, the, 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 the,
the foreskin is It's going to show. But, but she's the one who's going to get it. If she's over 12 and a half, she has to be Makara then, right? Um, she, she could be between 12 and 12 and a half. A little bit of a narrow. And then her father could be Makara. Now, even though Charles said the, the, the foreskin, the rainbow, had no value, but but David's doing a service for the king. That service is is worth money. It's worth money if it's something which the king was responsible to pay for. If it's a, if it's a service which is let's say for the benefit of the Jewish people as a whole, so then the king could argue that it wasn't a, a service done particularly for me. So that's not. David is an evident of a servant of so he's a servant getting paid. Some payment. Uh, not necessarily. You're doing it for, for nothing? The king had the right. We saw uh, when Shmuel originally told the Jewish people what the rights of the king are, the king has the right to take anybody he wants for his service. Let them to pay. So the foreskins have no value, and, and, and the service that David's doing has no value. Shaul would claim it was a national service, it wasn't for me individually. <laughs> Accepting the gift is considered. Which gift did he accept? Well, David accepting. That's the way they worked out the way around. If you answer Aaron Hashem, does it mean that David has to accept the gift? And Shaul said, But here I know that you're accepting a gift. I want to look at Hashem's daughter. He's accepting his daughter without giving a condition. That's never a condition. No? No, of course. The gift can't be the condition itself. It has to be something on which the condition is hot. Lastly, can we say that uh, it's getting a stas on Shaul's part? Definitely. We could say that. More than there was that. Shaul set it up because he was hoping David would get killed. He, he never intended to follow it through with his condition. He had hoped that this would be a way to lure David to go to Bethlehem. Shaul's a tzaddik. How could he do something that's... He so said before that when the Ruach Hashem left him, mm-hmm. he became consumed by jealousy or by this, this, this mm-hmm. melancholy spirit which overcame him. So then he's, not, he's, not, he's, not, he's no longer acting the way Shaul should act. And like you see, obviously, he tries to kill David, which is for sure there's no justification for that. According to the Mahdomar, that he really had a condition with Mayor, not marrying his sister. So, what's the question? Because I'm going to get to it. So, the first opinion says, according to the condition, as that it wasn't really a condition with Mayor. She was just intended to marry David, but they never actually got to the marriage because someone else married her, or she agreed to marry someone else. In which case, uh, David said that, Shaul, by your promise to give your daughter to the king, so I'm entitled to marry your younger daughter. And the younger daughter Michal wanted to marry David, and that was allowed, and therefore they got married. Um, the second opinion holds that David had made a condition with Mary already, in which case the fact that she married someone else was a condition, was not a, she was an Ish. But then the question that Gemara asks, then how could David marry the younger sister? Yeah. Because you know that the Torah doesn't allow a person to marry two sisters, and the Gemara answers Mary of Dadyam. Mary of Dadyam. And uh, therefore, uh, he was allowed to marry Michal because the dinner of marrying two sisters is only in their lifetimes. And once the old one had died, this is what is going to the end. That's what Therese says in the Gemara. Michal Acha misses Mary of Nisal. He only married Michal after Mary of Nisal, after died. Which means she died very young, because it wasn't a long time afterwards. And it fits with the same opinion. You know, as if she was like an Ashes Ish, and she married someone else, then she'd be doing it very as well. In which case, if she died straight after that, then it would make, it'll make sense why. Because Shmuel engineered that, and then we made it again. Freed up David to marry Micha. Um, okay, that's the that's the 
that's that's the, the, the Gemara's background to the story. And either way around, like you saw, Joel never really had in mind the Davidian Either of his daughters, he was he was hoping that the process is clearly, and Shaul was thinking that if I come to go to battle, there's a chance the Pishti will kill him, and they don't worry about it anymore. That's not what happens. Uh, like we saw, David fulfilled the condition, and the king had no choice anymore. And that's how we saw the other part of Zion, and there was another point here as well. And that is when we came to marry, like we saw in the Pasuk, um, so to speak, she chose not to marry David. In which case, to some extent, that absolved Shaul from his obligation. If you're going to say in the first opinion that he hadn't actually married her, so listen, he said, I offered, my, I offered my daughter to marry you, she didn't want to, so what can I do? So that would kind of like let Shaul off the hook, so to speak. Uh, whereas by Michal, it's the other way around. She did want to marry David, in which case Shaul didn't have any justification, any excuse uh, not to allow him to marry. And that's why he's forced into the position that he has to allow to marry David. And uh, but Shaul sees in this that there's definitely Yad Hashem at work over here. And as we have to pass to Chachas, it says, Vayam Shaul, Vayad Shaul, so he realized he knew, Ki Hashem in David, Hashem is with David, he is all engineering things to his benefit, he's protecting him in war. And only that, Michal, but Shaul, Ahibasu. And only that, his daughter Michal loved David. And that's also an element of Kiddush. Because Shaul clearly doesn't love David anymore. On the contrary, like we saw, he very much hated David and he was very jealous of David. And we would assume normally that children, especially younger children, would uh, accept or follow the opinions of their parents. And if, therefore, if David was considered the traitor or the enemy of the court, the fact that nevertheless Michal loved him was not, was, wasn't was to be taken for granted. And therefore, Shaul sees in that also a certain element of how much Hashem is with David. Michal is Yonatan's. Sister. Yeah, his young sister, yeah. Yeah. It's uh therefore the of But David, therefore Shaul became even more afraid of David. Once again, once he saw that Akadosh Baruch was helping him so much, so then that this compounded the fact that he saw David as an enemy. But he shall over David Kayam. Shaul could never consider himself an enemy of David for the rest of his life. Like we're going to see. So that's from Shaul's point of view. From David's point of view, Vayetu Sari Pishtim, the Sari Pishtim went out to fight against Israel. Now, why are they going to fight? They just lost the battle not long ago against Goliath. So why are they coming to fight again? So the Vajra explained here, they came to take revenge. Yeah, they specifically came to look for David because they considered him responsible for killing Goliath, which he did. And therefore they, they marched out to, to find him as we take revenge. But also for killing the hundred fish. And a lot of people they killed as well. And so the fish, the Mahimi, they'd say some. Uh, and then when they, every time they went out, Sachal, David, Mikhail, the Shal, David was the most clever. From all Shal's servants had to uh, thwart the fish attacks and how to fend them off. And made it. that just uh, enhanced his reputation. Because everyone could have seen it. It wasn't just like the one time or two times that he had. Uh, been successful against the district, but he was regularly to be relied on as the way to, as a person to speak to how to deal with the Pnishti threat. And the result, Vayikash Maimoj. It enhanced David's reputation greatly, and that's exactly what Shaul was scared of. That the more David became successful, the more the people liked him, and the more he started as a threat. 
Now, there's another point just to talk about it briefly before we continue, and that is the role the Plishtim played here. If we see throughout the early Nabim, the Plishtim were always, so to speak, uh, Hashem's way of, of uh, getting what he wanted done. Sometimes it was the Plishtim was successful, it was like to punish the Jewish people, to threaten them. Sometimes it was the way to uh, engineer things to happen. Uh, the Plishtim are an example of uh, what the Gemara says, Tziv Hashem Yaakov, Tziv Hashem organizes that the enemy of Chayashal should be next to them because then he always has a leverage point. And therefore every time Chayashal does something wrong, it's all <coughs> And regularly the Plishtim will come to attack them. And that's one point. More than all the other nations of, enemy, of enemies of Chayashal which lived around them, Amaya, Vimidian, and Amoin, and Aram later on, it's always firstly the Plishtim who used us the ones to to be the ones to punish the Jewish people, to attack the Jewish people. But there's another point also. And that is the Plishtim also served to, so to speak, provide the backdrop for Nisim. And therefore it's the other way around as well. Where Kodesh Baruch Hu wants to um, make somebody great. Or Hashem wants to show, like, give somebody uh, prestige in the eyes of Ta Israel. So then he uses the Plishtim as the ones to get beaten to do that. And uh, so the Plishtim aren't just the enemy who comes to oppress. The Plishtim are also the, sometimes the ones who are going to suffer in order to enhance the reputation or the standing of Hashem wants to enhance. Hashem uses the Plishtim both ways. That's what we saw by Shimshon. Shimshon's greatness is always at the expense of the Plishtim. That's what we saw by Yonason. That's what we see in Abadavid. So all of them, the Plishtim were just the, the means, so to speak, to enhance the standing of Hashem wanted to promote somebody. It was always justified though because they were attacking us. Yeah, we never had to, we never had to look for reasons to fight the Plishtim. But uh, the, like I said the way Hashem used them was as as the, as the the balance, so to speak, to like I said, either punish Israel or to be punished by Israel to reward Israel. So much so the Gemara's in Kedusha, I'm going to present it, that when uh, that, that same idea of Siv Hashem Yakusir Sarah is that even when Kaishal went into Goddess and Babel, so Hashem sent some of their neighbors who were the enemies to Babel to live in neighboring cities to, to still be there, so to speak, the enemies are there as well. Amad and Maya, whatever it was. Okay, so that's the that's the the role the Plishtim are playing here. And uh, what it's contributing to is it, it's enhancing Tavid's reputation. So Shaul had tried to get David killed by the Plishtim and had it worked. So now Shaul decides to go to try directly. And never Bazak Yates, the Bazak says, I dabi shall yes and benoy, or cut up Bazak Hamis Tavid. Shal discusses now no longer it's no longer secret by him. He discusses it with his son and all his servants that they want to kill David. The Yahis and Ben Shal Khabit Sadavid Noi that we saw already. Yonasan was a was a supporter of David on the country, he was very close to David. And the Yagi Yonasan David Shal Avila Misaf. And if Yonasan goes to war David, and says my father to kill you. Never be careful. Tomorrow morning, they might come and kill you. If rather find a place to hide, so that you that you can't get to. You. It's interesting that the Yonasan is spelled differently in Pesukah. Right. Since a lot of times, the points are very true. Really, his name is Yonasan. There are sometimes that he's called Yehoi Nasan with extra hey. And 
the, the Midrash talks about that. It's actually something which Mitzvah's Kharadrat we should pay attention to when you see the famous uh, Sukkim. And that is, the, like we said, Yonasan is a normal spelling of the name Hashem gave. But when it, we put in the extra A, so then it has three letters of Hashem's name. Yehoinasan, in an order, Yud And the reason Hashem gave him an extra letter is because he was acting in a way which would be above the way a normal person would act. There's a certain extra element of a uniqueness in, in what Yonasan was doing. And he made it, it deserved an extra level of ruchness, and so to speak, Hashem signs his name, Yonasan's name, to, to complement what he's doing. We said previously that what would be expected, what would be normal, is that Yonasan would be also an enemy of David. He was the crown prince, and he's the one who stands to do the most until he becomes king. And contrary to what one would expect, uh, Yonasan always stands up to protect David and to promote David. And every time he does that, so then Yonasan overcame his own natural self-interest, the, the jealousy or which we could have assumed he would have. And when he does that, so that, that wherever he's coming to protect David, then he gets the extra hay in his name, because that's a sign of Kilo, the godliness that was present in the way he was acting. He doesn't know that he's fond of David by now, only later? Yes, Shal does know that. Shal thinks Yonasan's his son, and Yonasan's going to help him. And Yonasan uh, is now acting as a spy for David and warning David in advance of what Shal wants to do. But Yonasan hasn't given up yet. Yonasan still thinks he's going to be able to convince Shal out of that yet to, to kill David. And therefore, he says, You're going to hide in the field, and I'm going to walk with my father in the field without them knowing that you're there. And I'm going to speak to my father about you. I'll see what I can do. In other words, to change his mind. And I'll let you know. And so it happens. David has in the field. Yonason goes for a stroll in that same field with Shaul. Obviously, not him not knowing that David is really very close by in hiding. And then Yonason uses opportunity to try and speak positively about David. By David, Yonason with David. Yonason again with the hay because he's trying to protect David over here. So he spoke positively about David. He spoke well of David. El Shalom to his father Shal, and what he says to him is, uh, The king shouldn't do anything which should be considered a sin against David the servant. He didn't do anything wrong that would deserve uh, him being punished. Not only that, but what he's doing is very good for you because really he's acting to, you know, to fight the wars of Hashem, to fight the Christian, which is really the king's responsibility. And actually he says, he, takes his life, he took his knife into his hands, he risked his knife, and through him, Hashem uses the way to create a tremendous victory for Yisrael, salvation for Yisrael. You are very happy there. In other words, Yisrael was a threat to Yisrael, sorry, was a threat to Yisrael, he had no way to combat him. And David did it for him. So there was a reason for Shal to be happy. And if that's the case, So why would you be guilty of spilling innocent blood to kill David for nothing? Now, there's a certain point to which it's not just he's trying to appeal to Shal's better in- instincts, so to speak, or to speak, or ask him to act nobly. There's actually a point here which is of halachic importance to us. And that is, there's a din, as you know, of Mary Bumalus, which means if a person is a rebel against the king, the king has the right to kill. The king has the right to protect himself and defend a potential 
Kuz, or anybody who wants to threaten the monarchy. And it's a, it's a principle that murder Malchus. Obviously, if Shaul wanted to kill David, it's because he considered David to be a threat to the Malchus. And now, the Genesis argument here, and this is a Chiddush, which we have to understand the Halakha. And that is, what Genesis was saying was, that a person can only be a murder Malchus if he's actively trying to rebel. If he's actively trying to rebel. If he's doing something to unseat the king, or he's trying to rally a counter, an army against the king, or he's publicly defying the king, but he has to be doing something wrong. And if, even if a, a king sees somebody as a threat, but not because of anything that person has done wrong, rather just because it's the person who is extremely popular in Kali Yisrael, and therefore could uh, sway public opinion away from the king to them, that itself is not, you can't kill them for that. You can't kill them for that. And as a murder Malchus isn't that the king has the right to kill anybody you consider as a potential rival. A murder Malchus is someone who has to be murdered. Someone has to do something to undermine the king or to threaten the king. And that's what Yenison's argument was. Yenison's argument was twofold. Number one, it says twice. Islam Techat of Adamnaki. Why are you going to punish a sin of an innocent person? Or he said beforehand, is Al Yechata Melech al It'll be a chait, it'll be a sin on your part to kill David because David did nothing wrong. David did nothing to threaten you or to uh, to do anything to challenge you as a king. Now that would be considered a chait. And the second point is, uh, what, what has David done? And David's success. And then he killed God, yes, and he chased out the fish, and whatever he did to it. So on that, Shal said, it wasn't an act of rebellion. Exactly the other way around. That was in your service. In other words, had David, uh, Shal, as you know, was being threatened by Goliath. And Goliath kept saying, I'm, I'm the representative of the Christian. Send out your king. Send out Shal, or somebody's going to represent you to fight me. And let's say David, on his own volition, would have decided, I'm going to go to fight Goliath. And gone up for his own court to fight him. That could be a murder Malchus. Because this was something which it was the king's prerogative. He was being challenged, he had to decide what to do. And the fact that someone takes uh, matters into their own hands and uh, decides that he's going to uh, he's going to make the decision in the king's place, that could be considered a murder. That could be considered a rebel to some extent because you're usurping authority. You take the authority. And this I just want to show you a story. It's actually a very interesting story. Uh, we just came out and finished the Shiva Rabbi Ahmad Fajrahi, the Shiva Mataris. There's a story we heard about him when he was a Bacha. He was a Bacha in uh, Hebron. In, he was one of the older Bachim. And uh, at the time, it was a time when uh, there was there was a, a war of independence in 1948 in Israel and Tafshin and obviously everyone was very scared. It was very scared. There was no real army to speak of. There was no real weapons to speak of. And uh, we were being attacked from all the different sides simultaneously. We were very scared, obviously. Everyone was doing what they could as a way to, as a way to uh, find Sfusim or improve what they were doing. So, Rahmat uh, was there as a Bacha. But he already had leadership qualities. So he got up in the Bismarck of Hebron. One night, and he spoke about how everyone has to work harder, everyone has to try better, and do something to, you know, to add to what they're already doing as a source for Kali Yisrael. And he suggested people should take on later at night, and people should look at this, whatever it's going to be. And he spoke well, and 
other biographers I see. And he said in his words, he said it made a, a noticeable difference in the ship. After he had after he had spoken and after whatever they implemented, they noticeable a noticeable improve, improvement in the in the in, in the yeshiva attendance and learning and everything else. Okay, so that's an interesting part of the story. A week later, the Mashkech of Heaven, the Blaib Hasman, called him in. And he said, I heard that you decided to pull the Brahman together and to, to address them about what they should do and tell them things that they should work on. Is that true? So the Brahman said, Yes, it is. I did do that. He was a Bachar still. He was still a Bachar then. And uh, yeah, I did do that, and I see that Baruch Hashem. And he said he thought that uh, Mashkir was going to thank him or compliment him. He said, so Rebbe looked at him, he said, you should know, you destroyed the Chavim Yashir. Now that is the conversation. And he said, I don't know anything, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? He had encouraged everyone to learn harder, to try better. He destroyed the Chavim Yashir. So yes, I understood. And that is, there's an authority in Yashir. And it's the authorities to decide what to do and to decide when to speak and to decide how to run things. And when Barakam decided they're going to run the yeshiva, it takes away the, the koyach from, so to speak, the ones who entrusted with that job. And in a way, that's, that's deemed undermining the yeshiva. Because it's the Meshkiyach's job to do that. And it's his, his position to tell Barakam what to do and how to do his And once Barakam, on their own, decided to take over, so to speak, uh, the, the reins of authority, so you're under, you undermining the existing authorities, and that's what he said, it will destroy the issue. Um, which is an interesting life lesson. But what I'm bringing back to this point over here, had David gone to find God yesterday without asking first, then you're doing exactly the same thing. You might have been successful, you might have been saving Ka Yisrael, but you're undermining the king. This was his decision, he was the one who has to decide what to do, and to take matters into your own hands, even if it's to do a nest. But if it's against, what the, if it's without the king approving it, without and so to speak, uh, asking his approval, his permission first, then you, it's, that's also murder matters. Which is, going back to the story of Edison himself, he was guilty of that. We saw before, and when there was an argument fight with the Christian, and Edison and his sword bearer, bearer on their own, they, uh, they, they climbed the hill and they, they, they arranged their personal campaign against the Christian, and Shaul never knew about it. That was a murder matters. Because then you're undermining the king. It's the king's job to decide to go to battle. It's the king's job to run the battle. And if you decide you're doing your personal thing, even though it brought victory, even though it brought victory, but there was a time in Yenison. And uh, at the end of the day, Shalom to the kid. And we saw it then. It's true, it was for a different reason also. He didn't listen to Shalom, he ate from the honey. But it came from the original point, and that is your whole, your whole mission on your own right was really uh, a rebellion against the king's authority. And that is the answer that we going to tell us because the people saved him. And that we saw that the people stood up for him and they said, no, Yenison was the one who brought this big nest. Uh, and they promised that they were going to prevent Yenison from getting killed. But from Shaul's point of view, he could have called him a Mary Ramatus. Now, Yenison comes to Shaul and says exactly the same thing. David calls the exactly the words they said about him. He said, but over here, you're east of Atismach. You were happy about it. Why? Because David came to ask. And David said, can I go to battle against God? Yes. And Shaul gave him the green light to go. So it wasn't like you could consider his victory to be a Maidra Malthus. On the contrary, you sent him. You sent him. And that's the case. So Shaul's argument is not only has David done nothing to, so to speak, to attack you or to threaten you, but he hasn't even done something without your permission, which could be considered a, a way of undermining you. On the contrary, you were the one who, who, who allowed him to go and 
even gave you armor to go with. And Shaul accepted. Vayishma Shaul to call Yonasan. Vayishava Shaul Chayashem Yomus. Shaul hears it. It's true. I'll make a shvur. Chayashem Yomus. If he if he gets killed, which means at this stage Shaul could still be convinced that David had done nothing wrong and there was no reason for him to want to kill him. And not only that, Shaul makes a shvur Hashem Hashem to that. That's the fact he's not going to kill him. So Yonasan thinks he's done his job well. So he tells him, you don't have to be scared. The father promised me he's not going to kill you. So now Yehudah brings David back to Shal's palace, and once Shal's made the promise, David feels sad. And then he goes back to assuming the duties he had beforehand, uh, that without being afraid that Shal was was going to kill him. Okay, so that was uh, what Yehudah promised to do to try and reinstate David in Shaul's eyes, and Yonis thought he had managed. Shaul had promised him that he would, uh, would cause David no harm, and he had agreed to bring the Shaul back to the palace, and Yonis uh, thought at this stage that he had, uh, so to speak, uh, overcome the, his father's negativity towards David, and that David was safe. That's what he's so far, and I'm going to see the future. Unfortunately, this was very short-lived. Even though Shaul had promised it, but Lemais, we're going to see that Shaul reneges on this promise, and uh, once again, he's going to start threatening them.